is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Welcome to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino, at the Bongino on Twitter, filling in for Mark, taking a little holiday break. Man, you never want before the show in your home studio equipment to be moving around. Right, Mr. Producer? That's a very bad sign. I, right? He's like, oh, yeah. I have a clogged up desk here, and I kid you not, like a second before we went on the air, I transmit through this Comrex box. It looks like a big Palm Pilot. For those of you in radio, you know what I'm talking about. And it's a touch screen. And don't freak out, Mr. Producer. But seriously, like five seconds before we came on the air, the microphone cord was hovering above the disconnect button. You would have been like, Mr. Producer, go. And everybody would have heard total, you would have heard crickets. I can't even make the cricket sound. So I fixed it. No worries. We're all good. <laughs> but I am Dan Bongino, contributing editor at Conservative Review. In for the great one. Always tough to fill in for a guy uh, they call the great one, but happy to be back. I enjoy being here. Love the show. Love the audience. I'm at D. Bongino on Twitter. If you want to tweet me comments, criticisms during the show, I take them all. If you'd like to call in and criticize or comment or have something nice to say, whatever, 877-381-3811. Liberals are welcome, too. You know, I always... Always like a good argument, and Mr. Call Screener will always keep a line open for liberals who want to call to yell at me. That's always fun. But on a very serious note, we had some breaking news tonight, folks, that um, mainstream media is largely ignoring at this point. Um, you could probably figure out why. But it looks like protests are breaking out all over Iran uh, right now. Um, the takeaways from this are interesting. Where they're breaking out in Iran are are key, are critical. The protests back in 2009 um, were largely in areas that the Iranians diminished, you know, because they wanted to play down the impact of these protests. It's, oh, these like inner city liberals are after us, but they're breaking out all over the country. Um, are they are they enormous in number? No, but they are big, uh, and this is prominent. You're you're seeing. Uh, uh, right now, people in the streets screaming. It started, by the way, as a protest about prices, food prices, the horrible economy, because that's what fascists and socialists do. They crush their people. They crush their economy. And the, you know, uh, a boot of the government neck can only stay on the neck of liberty for so long before people rebel. But it, it now appears to be morphing into a protest against uh, the government Rouhani uh, and Khomeini, which is amazing to see. Now, a quick update. Heather Nowert, spokeswoman for the police department, uh, police department, excuse me, State Department. I've got the news on in the background here. I'm trying to keep up with this as it goes on. Heather Nowert, spokesman for the State Department, has put out a statement in support of the protest and condemning any arrests of peaceful protesters, which is, by the way, awesome. That is super quick. Boom, get it out right away. The president, though, I would absolutely love to hear a direct statement from him uh, as soon as he can. If Mr. President, this is the time. This is the time to go for it. This could be a generational change. I don't want to be hyperbolic or exaggerate. You know, 2009, the, the regime crushed these protests, and they were, they were larger than they are right now. But this could be one of those moments that changes the course of history. This is obviously a despotic, tyrannical, horrible regime full of zeros, losers, and death to America terrorists. We have the opportunity right now to double down. 
Congress get together, get your act together, double down on sanctions, sanction everything. Get out, get them out of the international financial system. Get the sanction Mahan Air completely. Their ports, everything. Make them an island. This is it. This is the time to completely double down on them. Up the pressure every in every single sphere you can do it. This is it. This is the opportunity. This could be that equivalent of, uh, you know, Mr. Gorbachev tear down that wall moment, and we don't need the foreign speech to do it. Folks, this is a terrorist, tyrannical regime. We have the opportunity right now to move and move big. These people have been, if not the, the, the number one enemy to America, the number one or, you know, a two sponsor of terror around the world. For my entire lifetime, I was only born in 1974. This is the opportunity to do this. Screaming death to Rouhani and death to Khomeini. That's amazing. In the streets of Iran to hear that in this tyrannical fascist regime full of killers. This is the time to double down. This is the time for the president. Issue a tweet. Go for it. This is the time to go for the Hail Mary right now. Turn the heat up on that oven. Turn that pressure up high. This is it. Use that Twitter machine right now. We can do it. We can make big changes right now. They are going to be a nuclear power if they are not significantly already with the ability to attack the United States. They are only, matter of fact, this crazy Iran deal gives them a pathway to it. This is the time to do it. I'm glad to see they issued that support from the State Department. If I, and if he does tweet, I'm going to keep checking during the show. It's hard to show prep and follow breaking news at the same time. But I'll keep you updated on this story. An incredible story. Not hearing much about it from the mainstream media. But, folks, this could be a game-changing moment. All right, let me lay out the rest of the show for you. And I'll, I'll repeatedly update you throughout the show if I see any breaking news on this. Because this could change like that in a snap. There's some unbelievable videos out there on Twitter, by the way, about what's going on in Iran. You know, a couple, uh, a, a couple of reporters who are familiar with the region, they have put out some videos. And it doesn't appear like people are afraid anymore. People are going uh, fighting back against the police in some of these videos. I can't authenticate them, but the videos are from reputable people on Twitter. Gosh, you know, we've been with the Iranian people for a long time. It's this horrible regime that needs to go. All right, so here's what I want to cover today. Uh, I saw an article at Legal Insurrection, a blog I really like, about the long-term demograph- uh, demographic strategy of the Democrats and how there's there's no potential for this. In other words, the identity politics thing. You know, you've all been called, I'm sure, if you're a conservative out there. If you haven't, you probably haven't argued with a liberal yet. If you, if you haven't argued with a liberal yet, and you will, you will be called a racist, misogynist, uh, Islamophobe, homophobe, transophobe, phobophobe, istophobic, phobophobe, anything with an ist, an ism, or a phobe. You will be called if you haven't been called it yet. But there's a fascinating piece of legal insurrection that I'm going to get into that talks about this strategy, this identity politics strategy by the Democrats being absolutely doomed to fail in the long run. And it, it, the premise of it is incredible. So I want to talk about that. And throughout the show, I thought it would be a good idea, given it's the end of the year, and maybe we'll do a little bit of, I don't mean, I'm not into too much lighthearted stuff. Politics is serious business. And, you know, you want a comedy, go to a comedy show. This is serious business here, right? I, but I do want to do some stuff debunking some of the biggest liberal myths of 2017. And I have a list of doozies. I don't know how many. Do people still say that, doozies? Is that okay? I mean, am I aging myself? I'm only 43. But I have a list of them that are really pretty sweet. I don't know how many I'll get to, 
But there's some really good ones in here. I want to just do some debunking. I love debunking liberal myths because they're everywhere. And basically everything liberals stand for is a myth anyway. So first, on this legal insurrection piece, you know, folks, the party of JFK, those Democrats, is dead. Dead. Dead as a doornail. Bury that sucker in the ground. Hammer the nail in that coffin. The party of John F. Kennedy, that Democratic Party, is dead. I know it. My my parents, specifically my mother and her family, were Kennedy loyalists. The John F. Kennedy Democrat Party, that and by the way, John F. Kennedy uh, supported tax cuts. That I know that stunned some Democrats. Matter of fact, the largest take-home pay increase tax cut in American history equated to take-home pay was John F. Kennedy. Percentage point basis in modern history of Ronald Reagan, but take-home pay it was Kennedy. From 90 to 70 percent, basically tripled the amount of take home pay. <coughs> Excuse me, little, little bit of a cold today, but I feel fine. I always promised I would never do a show if I felt bad. I think it's terrible to the audience. You know what? Can I just tell you a quick story on that before we get back to JFK? I went to a CPAC once, and one of the speakers was sick, and they said that at the beginning of the speech, and it distracted everybody for the rest of the speech because all I could think about was how bad I felt for the speaker. So I always promised if I was ever ill and felt horrible, I wouldn't do a show. But I feel good, so don't worry. But that's why my voice sounds a little different tonight for those who used to hear me. But getting back to JFK, that Democrat Party is dead and buried. JFK supported tax cuts. JFK, the tax cut which Johnson signed, obviously because Kennedy was taken from us too soon. He was obviously killed. Um, but it was his idea was to cut the marginal rate from 90 to 70%. So if you were taken home... $10 at a 90% marginal tax rate, and now you're taking home 30 They cut it from 90 to 70 so you were paying 70, uh, 90 cents on the dollar. Now you're only paying 70 You You almost, you know, you tripled your, your take-home pay. It was an enormous tax cut at the time. That was JFK's idea. That party's gone. The party since then, ladies and gentlemen, has been hijacked by a far different strategy. The strategy back then was to appeal to the working man was to appeal to the average working man, promote you know union membership, take home wages. Um, you know not everything I, I would agree with as a conservative. I believe in free markets, but they were generally ideas that I think at, at a minimum had some kind of uh, bipartisan support. At some, you know, everybody supported the working man and the and, you know the JFK Democrats. That was their thing, the dirt under the fingernails guy. You know, lunch bucket Joe, like that was their guy. That was their dude. They got away from that. They got away from that for a very specific reason. The party was hijacked by a far-left element married to socialist thought, married to this critical theory nonsense, this, this critical theory you know, junk that was uh, imbued in the, in the minds of young journalists in college and academic institutions, critical theory uh, in essence stating that you know, everything out there is just a reinforcement for the white patriarchal power structure, and it's all about the struggle, and you're all victims, and we got to fight back. When that element hijacked the party, the party realized there was no future in that old message anymore, and they were going to have to disguise what they had. Now, after the break, I'm going to get into how they manipulated and disguised their new message through identity politics, but most importantly, I'm going to talk about in this piece how that attachment to identity politics and these, these, oh, you're a racist, you're a misogynist, all of this stuff, how there's no future in it. And I know it doesn't seem like, oh, there's got to be a future in it. They love it. This is all they do. 
There isn't, but it's for a very, very specific reason and a very interesting one that, uh, again, I'll talk about in this piece. All right, I'm Dan Bongino, at Bongino on Twitter. Make sure you give Mark a follow as well, at Mark Levin Show. And give us a call, 877-381-3811, if you want to join the show. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Bongino on Twitter, filling in for Mark. So before the break, I was talking about the shift in the Democrat Party post-JFK from substance. We may not have liked the substance, although I supported JFK's tax cuts. Well, I wasn't alive at the time. I was born in 74, but I support them now, retroactively, retrospectively, uh, more to be more precise. But they had some kind of a platform back then. They had this shift. The liberals took over, and the shift was to strictly an identity politics agenda. And there's a reason why, folks. The party was taken over by this 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 socialist thread, this far left thread, this uh, that that's just the, encompassed the entire fabric of the Democrat Party. But folks, that that agenda is inherently unpopular with liberty loving uh, liberty loving peoples. We're seeing, by the way, right now in the protests uh, in Iran, which are exploding. Nobody wants to be repressed. Nobody wants their money taken away. No one wants the government telling them where to get their health care. No one wants the government telling their kids where to go to school. No one wants mounds of government red tape before they can open up a business. The Democrats understood this post-JFK, and they understood that their shift to this big government liberal um, you know, socialist model was not going to be easy, and they had to disguise it. So in order to disguise it and gain power, in order to get power, you have to get votes. But ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to get votes by saying, give us your money, give us your health care, and by the way, we're going to send your kids to a crap school. What do you think about that? That doesn't really work on a campaign sign like NG, no good. So they had to find a way to not get you to vote for them, because they knew you would never support this crap, high taxes, terrible schools. Government-run health care? You don't even like going to the DMV. You want to go to the government to get your chest cracked open? What are you, nuts? So they said, we got an idea here. Here's how we're going to do this. We're going to make victims out of everyone. But in order to make victims out of people, first we have to attach them to a class. We stick them in first. And once they're attached to that class of people, whatever it may be, we're going to stick you in a skin color box, a culture box, a race box, a religion box, a woman versus man box, union versus non-union box. Once we stick you in that box and get you to pledge allegiance to that box, we are going to make sure you understand that the conservatives and Republicans hate everybody in that box. But folks, in order to effectively implement a plan like that, you have to get people to stay in the box and pledge allegiance to that box. And the piece, the legal insurrection piece I've been talking about, about the upcoming failure of identity politics, points out some fascinating information. Factoid number one. That is, generations of families who may have identified as Hispanic when they came over here as immigrants, procreate and have a first and second and a third generation. Shocking to no conservative listening to this show, ladies and gentlemen. Get ready for it, liberals. The kids of immigrants identify with America, where they live. They don't identify as Hispanic American or Asian American. They're identifying more and more as either white, maybe as some generic proxy for being an American, but they're not in, they're not in the boxes you want to stick them in. 
So the you know the only way for your sick identity politics strategy by calling every Republican a racist and getting to believe uh, getting people to you know Hispanic voters to believe that Republicans hate them, which is entirely disingenuous, total BS and garbage. The only way to make that work is to get people to believe that they're Hispanic first and everything else second. You're Hispanic first, you're a mom second. You're Hispanic first, you're a dad second. You're Hispanic first, you're a teacher or a coach second. You're Hispanic first, you're a Christian second. They need you to triage your priorities and sit in that box and stay there. And when you don't identify with that box anymore, the entire strategy falls apart. Now, the legal insurrection piece on my Twitter feed, I tweeted it out today, I'm at Bongino on Twitter, shows the percentages in surveys of first, second, and third generation Asian Americans and Hispanic Americans who no longer identify primarily as Hispanic. Folks, do you understand how this constant hammering of trying to get people to stay in these boxes can't possibly work if you can't get them to stay there? This is all they have. You need to understand the why. They do this because they have nothing. Folks, legit, they have nothing else. What are they going to run on? The Walter Mondale platform of we need more of your money. We're going to hike your taxes. <laughs> They've got nothing left. This is it. They're married to identity politics. All right, I got to take a break. I'm Dan Bongino at the Bongino on Twitter. Give Mark a follow uh, at Mark Levin Show. And make sure you give us a call, 877-381-3811. We'll be right back. Levin says today, what the backbenchers will repeat tomorrow. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. All right, welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino, contributing editor over at Conservative Review, filling in for the great one. I'm at DBongino on Twitter. If you want to tweet uh, comments, criticisms, whatever, we take them all. You want to give us a call, 877-381-3811. Those of you on the phones, hold, we will get to you, um, I promise. So before the break, I was talking about the Democrats' allegiance to this identity politics agenda. And, you know, for those of you that are older than me, I'm, I'm only 43. Um, I'm certainly not uh, the senior member of the United States right now. Uh, but I've been around a little bit. You know, I, I do my homework, uh, obviously. I mean, when you're a conservative content provider, you're obligated to. It's the only fair thing to do before you get on the radio, to be responsible. Um, I've been at it for a long time. And when you research the history, and there's a lot of good books on this, of the far-left lurch of the Democrat Party, you know, you'll understand, and those of you who lived through this will know, that it wasn't always like this. The Democrat Party of Truman, the Democrat Party of, uh, of uh, John F. Kennedy, these, the identity politics, the, 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 when I say identity politics, by the way, again, I, I just want to be clear what I'm talking about because that term is thrown around a lot. It's the Democrats' fascination with everything revolving around a characteristic they tell you is important. This, this is critical. They tell you it's important. It may not be at all. I mean, us as conservatives think, you know, the melanin content of your skin is determinative of uh, nothing. That has to do with your character, intelligence, anything. It's liberals that tell you this kind of thing, where you were born, what religion you have, uh, what union you belong to. If you're a man or a woman, that these are determinative things, not your ability uh, to go out and work hard, not your drive, not, not, not your passion for what you want to do, that that stuff is meaningless, that you're subject to this white patriarchal power structure, and you will always be suppressed, and there's no opportunity for success. And any time you succeed, if you fit one of these, 
identity politics categories. It is only due to luck. We, we don't, they believe that. But this is all they have. They have this, this, it wasn't always this way. But just to kind of hammer down again the point in this piece I've been talking about, this legal insurrection piece, about how this strategy is doomed to fail over time, folks. And I thought of a way to sum this up in, in one line. You know, when, when demographic destiny, if you believe in that, that demographics is destiny, right? That, which liberals believe. If you are Hispanic, if you are black, if, if you're a woman, that this is destiny. That that is the, the primary thing in your life that should matter. That requires everyone who buys into it to believe that their destiny is demographic. You know, I'm not trying to be cutesy with the words or invent like a coexist slogan or invent a bumper stick or a meme. A meme. That's just, that's exactly what that means. You you have to convince people somehow that their demographic category you want them to believe is important, being a woman, being black, being Hispanic, being an immigrant, that that's all that matters. And they're failing. That's the whole point of the piece, that Hispanic voters over time and through generations, and Asian voters as well, Asian Americans, I'm not just talking about voters. I only mention voters because that's how they get their power. By, by telling Hispanic uh, voters and Asian voters, those conservatives hate you, they can't stand you, they're coming for you. And vote for us, we'll protect you. Well, what's your platform? Well, we don't really have a platform. We just want your money, we want to steal your crap, we want to shut your business down, send your kid to a crap school, and the government to run your health care. But we, don't talk about that. We're not really interested in that platform. We're just going to protect you against those, you know, horrible, evil conservatives out there. But that requires people to identify with being Asian or Hispanic. And as generations go by, this is not happening. Folks, you're already seeing it in areas in Texas, areas down here in Florida, where, you know, I hate these dopey categories, but liberals are fascinated with it. When, a, you know, a white man marries a Hispanic woman or a Hispanic, uh, uh, you know, a guy marries a woman who's white. And their kids and then their kids' kids, they, they don't they don't fit in any of these cute little identity politics categories liberals want to stick you in to make you believe you're some victim. Now, folks, on a personal note, you know, I, again, I know I can be sarcastic at times, but why this matters a lot to me. Because what I'm describing is my family. My wife's Colombian. She was an immigrant, not second generation. She came here from Colombia, not South Carolina. <laughs> The country, Colombia. My wife's a conservative Republican. She never voted Democrat in her life. She's probably, I don't know if she even wants me, if she's listening right now. Sometimes she's in a car, so if you're listening, you know, she's probably like, why are you telling people what I'm voting for? She's not as political as I am, obviously. This is my job. She's in web development. But my wife's a human being. She's a free thinker. She's a smart, intelligent, wonderful woman. She's a college grad from one of the best schools in the country. She graduated from Baruch up in New York. She's super smart. She does some of the best web designs out there. And you know what? She's a mom first. She's a Christian first. She's a spouse first. I gave you three firsts. I get it. We'll rank them as, we'll put God up there first. But the other two co-equal. That's what matters to her. She doesn't fit in your cute little boxes. And frankly, it's an insult for you to tell her that she's supposed to align with your cause because she's somehow under attack. Under attack from what? We live in a great community in Florida. We live a great life. She came here as a young immigrant kid and has had an absolutely amazing life where her mother busted her butt getting things done. Let me tell you something about her mom. I never like telling this story because I get, like, choked up. So especially when I'm 
a little, you know, ill. So it makes it even worse. But her mom came here from Columbia with no money. Their dad wasn't that great of a guy. So she comes here and doesn't speak a word of English. They live in this basement apartment in Jackson Heights. The mom never takes government benefits, never. She gets to work right away cleaning planes in an airport in New York. She takes the extra air, uh, airline peanuts at night to bring home because they, they don't have a lot of food because they don't have a lot of money. At night, her mom and the kids, my, my wife had uh, a sister and a brother, there were three of them, because they could only afford a one-bedroom kind of basement-type apartment, this probably wasn't even a legal apartment, they would sleep on a mattress on the floor. And in order to fit on the mattress, they would sleep kind of like head's tails. So the mother, my mother-in-law, who I adore, she told me in that unmistakable accent she has, you know, she says, uh, and it, it hurt at night. And I said, well, why, Miriam? You know, why Why did it, what would hurt? She said, because Polita, she calls my wife Paula Polita, you know, <laughs> she says, I could hear Polita's stomach at night because she was hungry and I didn't give her enough food because of the way they were sleeping, heads, tails. And she's like, you never want to hear that. Like, that's like the worst sound on earth, the sound of your kid's stomach, because she's hungry, because she couldn't, there wasn't enough food, because she didn't have enough money. But she worked, and she learned English. And she tells me this story at the airport of the, anything they asked her to do, she would do. She, My, my mother-in-law is is probably five foot one. She's pretty short. I'm six one. If I'm wearing shoes, but you know, six one and a half, six two, I tower over her. She tells the funniest story ever at the airport when she was working. That they, whatever they asked her to do, she would do it. So this one day they asked her to drive a truck at the airport, right? But she's so short. <laughs> I'm not making this up, folks. It's not a joke. She's so short. They stick her behind the truck. By the way, she's barely driven a car. She gets it. This was pre nine eleven, by the way. Keep this in mind. She gets in this truck. She's driving around the airport, and the people in the tower are, are start to freak out because she's so short they don't even see her in the truck. And they're like, there's a runaway truck on the runway. Somebody stop this runaway truck. It wasn't a runaway truck. It was my mother-in-law. So from that point on, she'd have to stick like six or seven yellow pages, remember those, before the Internet, under her caboose so she could sit up and they would see her in the truck so they wouldn't think it was a runaway truck. She tells me another story about one night. I don't know if she's comfortable with me telling this, but I'm going to tell it anyway. That they had had enough. Like she was, the kids were really hungry. So she's in a store and she doesn't know what to do and she's running out of money. So she sees this piece of meat because they couldn't afford meat. So she thinks to herself, I'm going to have to take this. So she puts it in like her, her jacket. She says, I had no choice. She's never stolen anything in her life. She changes her mind, puts it back. But when she walks out of the store, I think the manager may have seen her and realized something was wrong. So the manager offered her a job, and she said to herself, it was the most painful moment of my entire life. She's like, I cried about it forever because I had never had to break that moral code. You just don't steal. You know, Democrats, you sure? You sure now? You sure you want to judge her as just one of your cheap little demographic profiles as not a complete whole human being who came to this country and had values? You sure my mother-in-law is just a little check in your box? 
Oh, Hispanic voters surely supports. Uh, she supports us taking your money. No, she doesn't. She wants her own damn money. You know why? Because she worked for it. Because she almost starved getting here, learning English to get to the greatest country on earth. You know why she doesn't want to give up her health care? Because she worked her whole damn life to be able to go to a doctor she wants. Not some clown bureaucrat in HHS who's going to tell my mother-in-law after working her butt off, breaking her ankles, she has osteoporosis her entire life, not taking government benefits. Now you want to tell her where to go after busting her butt and contributing to society? She's candidly, she's probably half disabled right now. She has a tough time moving around because she worked so hard her entire life. Now you want to tell her grandkids where they go to school because, and you think she's just going to support you because she checks some cute little box you preordained? Oh, she's a Hispanic, like she's an automaton robot or some figure from Star Trek's The Borg. Are you crazy? You thought this was your strategy over time? And oh, and then by the way, because, and I, I, she'd be totally comfortable with me telling you this. Because she's a vocal, avid, loud Trump supporter, by the way. Oh, she's now a racist, too? Are you an idiot? Are you a hashtag imbecile on Twitter? No, I, I, I'm serious. I'm asking you, you liberals out there. Everybody, everybody who doesn't subscribe to your big government domineering ideology is some kind of istophobic phobophobe. My mother-in-law's a racist? Did you hear the story I just told you? She's a racist because she supports Donald Trump? What, she can't think for herself? Let, let, let's put your resume up against hers. Leaves her country, comes here, speaks, doesn't even speak the language, not a word of it, is now in a very successful woman in her, she's getting a little older, obviously, but a very successful woman. She owns property. She's made some great investments in her life. I mean, let me get this straight. She's supposed to take career advice and governing advice from a 19-year-old college snowflake who sits in a safe place playing with color forms all day. Get the hell out of our lives. We don't owe you squat. You don't know a damn thing about life. Not a damn thing. Nothing. You've been through nothing of substance. You sit on your dopey college campus listening to these silly college professors insulated by the halls of academia who've never been out in the real world, who see the world as a theory, not as reality, and we're supposed to all be taking advice from the pajama boy hot cocoa class after hearing that story I just told you about what my mother-in-law did? And you wonder why Donald Trump won Pennsylvania. And you wonder why Donald Trump did better with Hispanic voters, by the way, than Mitt Romney. You wonder why a Hispanic immigrant like my mother-in-law supports Donald Trump. You still wonder. Because you live in a cocoon. You live in an ideological cave devoid of ideas. You live in a vacuum, an intellectual vacuum. Now, I know I fully understand you. That I am absolutely sure of. I know what you want. I know what motivates you. I know what you stand for. And I know your ideology is a steaming pile of garbage. That's not the question. The real question is, does the pajama boy class, the hot cocoa class, the liberal snowflake SJW social justice warrior safe spacer class, safe spacer uh, group, do you know anything about us? Do you know anything about why we want to protect ourselves with firearms? Why we want to keep our own money and invest in our business and not give them to a wasteful government? Why we want to control our health care? Why we want to control our borders? Do you know a damn thing about us? 
And I'll bet you, if you're having a, a moment of genuine, honest self-reflection, the only answer is no. You don't know squat. All right, folks, I'm Dan Bongino in for Mark Levin. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino at the Bongino on Twitter. Filling in for Mark. If you'd like to give us a call, 877-381-3811. Make sure you give Mark a follow on Twitter as well, at Mark Levin Show. <coughs> Sorry about that. There's like a nasty crud going around. Like everybody, even in Florida, is sick. In Florida, it's like 77 degrees right now, too. But I was in the gym today, and people are in the gym like, <coughs> coughing all over stuff. I'm like, dude, I, I knew it. Like I knew it was going to happen to me. Like, you can't possibly sweat in a gym like that, in a basically a Petri dish uh, for germ growth, and not at some point come down with whatever crud is going around. Um, so before the break, I was telling you about this story on a very serious note about my mother-in-law and, and how identity politics is a, is, is a loser. It is doomed to fail. There is no possible long-run strategy to continue to dumb down America, to get them to believe they are no more than where they were born, the melanin content of their skin, or their union affiliation, or their private parts. There is no strategy for that long-term. None. This, to buy into that means you are nothing. You are that emotion doesn't matter, passion doesn't matter, drive doesn't matter, aptitude doesn't matter, achievement doesn't matter. None of that matters. That is a loser strategy. And I'm not trying to give the Democrats advice here, folks. Don't give, you want to stick with this identity politics thing? Knock yourself out. But you have completely devalued the term racist, misogynist, and any of that to the point, sadly, where real racism isn't even prioritized anymore because it get it's get lost excuse me it gets lost in the stupid twitter soup of racism charges that go out against anyone that's a conservative this is a loser with a capital l all right let me get a call in here let me go to uh jen in freehold new jersey jen what do you got for us hey dan always appreciate when you fill in for mark there and uh hey, cool. those people Thanks. in iran are very courageous i just wanted to you're darn right. Thank you for saying yeah. that. We'll, we'll keep you updated on that, too. Sounds good. But as far as identi identity politics is concerned, I fit into two of those categories, actually. I'm obviously a female, and I'm gay, and I'm married. Right. But I don't fall into the Democratic trap. I don't consider consider myself a victim. You know, the wait, wait, shocker. Jen, time out. You're gay. And you don't think like a robot? The Democrats listening to the show are absolutely astonished right now. They don't even know what to do with themselves, right? <laughs> no, they don't. I'm telling you, there are liberal, there are liberals listening to this right now, clawing at their faces, going, "This can't be possible." Clearly, she has no ability to think outside of this box we put her in. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, I'm just messing with you a bit, but you know, I, I appreciate you calling, and uh, because it's stuff like this and stories like yours that need to be heard, Jen. Do you understand? Like people like you need to speak out because you're the real courageous warriors of this next generation. People like, no, I'm not staying in this box. Sorry. We're going out there and I'm professing my allegiance to ideas, not this, you know, cutesy little box you put me in. You get what I, you see where I'm going with that? Listen, that means a lot to me. It really does. No, and listen, the fact you, that, um, yeah. I'm a, um, you know, I don't vote based on the fact that I'm a woman or that I'm gay. It's not even close to that, you know. And what's sad is that the people that don't understand this in my life are my close friends. 
Well, Jen, I got to run. That was an awesome call. I'm up against a hard break. I would have loved to keep you on, but that was an awesome call. Thanks for doing the right thing. Pledging allegiance to ideas, not these dopey boxes they put in. We'll be right back. of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. All right, welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino, at DBongino on Twitter, contributing editor over at Conservative Review. Filling in for the great one. If you'd like to give us a call, 877-381-3811. If you'd like to send a tweet. By the way, if you... Tweet something at me, comments or criticisms. I'm assuming you don't care if we read it. So just FYI, note to self here. Seriously, because sometimes people like get offended. But uh, it's social media for a reason. It's not a private email. I thought, I assume most people knew that. I'm at Bungino on Twitter if you want to follow Mark. It's at Mark Levin Show. And give them a follow at Levin TV as well, where you can get great clips of Mark's show. Levin TV, available on CRTV. They have some great deals going on right now at CRTV.com. Ton of content over there. Stephen Crowder, Steve Dace, Mark Levin Show, the flagship show, Michelle Malkin Show. So go check him out over at CRTV.com. Check that out. All right. So I told you at the beginning of the show, I was going to do a, and uh, this is the time of the year for lists. Everybody hates lists, but this is an important one. Um, the list of biggest liberal lies, blunders, nonsensical statements of 2017. I mean, this is a really good time to get into stuff like that and kind of wrap up the year in uh, liberal stupidity. And uh, there's a lot of it. Some lady just posted on my Facebook that she, you know, she's mad at me because of, I attack a uh, liberal. I, what? I attack liberals? Have you seen my Twitter feed? I've been called everything from a misogynist to a racist to a istophobic, phobic, istophobic, phobophobe. I mean, are you serious? It's you guys, not us. I just fight back. You don't like it. It's your problem. That's your bag of donuts, not mine. So one of them I wanted to hit because it's just so easy. And it's I don't know if it's so much debunking a liberal story, but retracing the genesis of what happened with fake news. Because a lot of people forget where that term started fake news at label i should say do you remember going back this is, and, and the reason i'm bringing this up by the way before i get to where it started i want to be clear so i, I you have so you understand the reason I'm, I'm talking about this i think there's a takeaway from the confusion about where the label fake news started and where it is now and the takeaway is in some respects the genius of trump's messaging You're probably very confused now. That's okay. You won't be in a minute. Fake news was a Democrat attack on the Donald Trump presidency, for those of you that remember this, right after he got elected when he was president-elect. Do you remember one of the reasons they said he was elected was the propagandizing of the uh, Russian regime through fake news stories planted in the media? That's where the term started, folks. It did not start as it's used now as a very legitimate attack on mainstream media sources that can't get their stories right seemingly ever about Donald Trump. Now, the reason I bring this up as one of the critical stories of 2017 and trying to debunk a lot of this liberal nonsense is they forget that when they complain about fake news now, your first response to them would be, well, you started it. 
You know, and I don't mean that in like a kindergarten way. Well, you started it. No, I mean it like they, the genesis of the term was on their side of the aisle. Trump, through his tweets, through his public statements and his speeches, did what Trump does, I think, better than a lot of people. He took a potential negative and attack on him. Look, Trump, you were elected because of this Russian fake news and people believed it and that's why you got into office. So instead of sitting there and, and like and being you know like a sucker, like a lot of other rhinos would do, oh leave it alone, leave it alone. It's the media and the Democrats. Just do your thing. He was like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. I'm a Queens guy. You know, I'm a Queens guy too. I grew up in Queens. You can probably tell by my accent. You know, Queens guys are different. Donald Trump had to deal with a lot of stuff. He had to deal with unions. He had to deal with the New York City folks. He had to deal with crime. He had to deal with mobsters when you're building people. New York City builders are a tough crew. Anyone who's dealt with them knows exactly what I'm talking about. He was like, ah, I'm not going to take this fake news thing. Fake news didn't get me elected. Matter of fact, I'm going to take the fake news label, and I'm going to slap it like a bumper sticker on the collective caboose of every single left-wing media outlet in America. Boom. There you go. How you like them apples? You guys are fake news. He did such a good job at doing this that I guarantee you most of the people listening to this show right now, guarantee, have no idea that that's where the term started. I'm telling you, look it up. Just Google. Fake new, Russian fake news got Trump elected. It's all Democrats using it. But he took it. And he owned it. He slapped that thing like a tattoo on the back of these hacks in the media to the point now where I think his attacks on a media that's attacked him are starting to have some effect. And, you know, you may say a lot of the never-Trump and liberal class, well, you know, attacks on the media, is this really what we want in a constitutional republic? No, um, we, but we also what we want is a media that actually, you know, does journalism. I mean, folks, I made a joke earlier today in a, I was a guest on a show, and I said, you know, in journalism, you know that meme on the Internet, like you had one job? You know, they'll post something, like if you're the milk delivery guy and the milk is broken all over the uh, the front patio, they'll take a picture of it and be like, you had one job, like deliver the milk, right? If you're in journalism, you literally have one job. Mr. Producer, am I crazy? You have one job, right? Get the facts right? Yeah, of course, he's agreeing because I'm I'm not wrong. This is not a dramatic, hyperbolic, melodramatic statement. This is nothing groundbreaking. If you're in journalism, not opinion, I'm an opinion guy. I'm not a journalist. I like to get the facts right. I do my best to do that. But my job is not journalism. I'm not a reporter. I'm an opinion guy. This is what we do. If you're in journalism, you have one job, one job. Just get the facts right. You have blown, I kid you not, between the Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, and MSNBC, you have blown nearly every single major scoop on Donald Trump since he was elected president and since he was inaugurated. Oh, nearly every one. The wiretap story, the Flynn story, the Deutsche Bank story, the Don Trump WikiLeaks, Don Trump Jr. WikiLeaks story, every major scoop, you have blown it. And in blowing it, you've accused other people, Mark included, by the way, of being conspiracy theorists who report on you blowing it. I'm not kidding, folks, that Brian Stelter has gone after Mark Levin for reporting on what the media did. It's not even Mark's reporting. He's just reading what the media reported when they blew it on Trump. The genius of fake news, the label, was that Trump 
owned it. He owned it. And now everybody, by the way, so just getting back to my point in a constitutional republic, now everybody understands that what the media is doing is not journalism. It's propaganda. And, folks, to answer your question, we can't have an effective functioning constitutional republic unless we have a media aligned with facts, reality, data, and the real world. If you have a media that acts as a propaganda arm for not even the Democrat Party, but a wing of the Democrat Party, the liberal wing, and and constantly lies about Republicans, Republican presidents, conservative lawmakers, congressmen, senators, whatever it may be, that's not a media operation. That's a Pravda-like, uh, you know, uh, fascist pro- propaganda machine. That's what it becomes. Now, there are good people in the media. There are. I've met, I do a lot of commentary. And there are even people at outlets. I mean, I remember, you know, to kind of um, give you a little bit of good news. I remember running for office in Maryland. And there was a reporter at the Baltimore Sun. I'm not going to say his name because if I even say he's fair, they'll probably fire him from the Baltimore Sun. I'm not even kidding. But there was a reporter at the Baltimore Sun, and he, I don't know his political affiliation, but I'm assuming he was he was he was a liberal. He he sounded like one when we talked, just by the way he would discuss issues. But I can tell you with a straight face, he never ever reported anything I said in a disingenuous way. You know what I mean by that? Like when you 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 know you make like a joke. You know, I was uh, when I was growing up, I was a Yankees fan. And say you give him a quote, you'd be like, well, my mother said I love the Mets. And then they leave the part like my mother set out, and the quote is, Dan Bongino says he loves the Mets. That's not what I said. I was talking about my mom. He never did that to me. He was always very fair. So there are some good people out there, folks. But the overwhelming majority of people in the Washington Post and New York Times are absolutely committed to propaganda, not facts. And the republic can't continue on unless we have a media that's committed to getting the story right. I always say, you know, it's not that people are low-information voters. It's that they're misinformed voters. And it's not their fault. You know, I said in the last uh, show, I filled in for Mark, uh, I don't know, Tuesday, whatever. By the way, I told everybody on Tuesday to be back on Thursday. That was Larry O'Connor. It was for, for, sorry, it was Friday. I'm losing track of time. It's been a busy week. But I said to them, you know, my job in conservative commentary is to go out and do all the homework and get the facts and to do the backup research. I never trust anything, anything I read in the Washington Post or New York Times without fact-checking it. I mean it, folks. I know that sounds bad, but I don't. I don't trust anything. Who has the time for that? you got your kids. You've got soccer games. you got to get meals on the table. you got to get the kids off the school. One kid's complaining about her clothes. I mean, my daughter, every morning, it's a chore with her clothes. You know, getting shoes on. You got to comb their hair, brush their teeth, put them to bed at night, get the dishes in the dishwasher, wash the dishes that don't fit in the dishwasher, wash the dishes if you don't have a dishwasher, get the coffee ready for the next day. You know, this is all people have busy lives. They don't have time. They read something in the New York Times. They don't have six and seven hours to fact check every sentence, but you have to. Because the stories they're putting out there, many of them, not all, but a good majority of them, and especially the significant ones, folks candidly are not true. They're just fake stories. I know the term fake news gets annoying, but the news is fake. A lot of it. Now, one more final note here before the break here. When you look at the surveys, folks, this is reflecting in the American thinking right now. You have 44% right now of Americans, according to this pointer poll I saw in Legal Insurrection, 44% of Americans who think the media is just making it up. Media folks, you had one job. You had one job. Get the facts right. 44% of Americans think you're making it up. Is that, I mean, is that, how is that not a code red? You're damn right it is. For those of you who love the movie A Few Good Men.
did you order the code red? You're damn right I did. No one can do Jack Nicholson like Jack Nicholson. You know, I met him once at the U.S. Open when I worked there. I was uh, We used to work there at the tennis tournament. Yeah, I remember he had a pretty strong handshake. I think he just got done filming that movie Wolf or something. But, folks, you can't trust them, and it's not a code red for them. It's not. They don't see any problem at all. They think this is just fine and dandy. They're going to let the propaganda machine go on as their credibility gets flushed down the toilet. All right, we're going to debunk more liberal nonsense in the rest of this hour. In the next hour, I'll take some of your calls. If you want to give us a call, 877-381-3811. That's 877-381-3811. If you want to send me a tweet, I am at DBongino. I'm Dan Bongino. Info Mark. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Welcome back. Dan Bongino at the Bongino on Twitter. In for Mark, the great one. If you'd like to give us a call, 877-381-3811. Hey, I'm, I'm really surprised how little coverage I'm seeing right now of what's going on in Iran. I, I opened up the show talking about it. Been discussing, you know, the, the greatest liberal myths of 2017. And by greatest, I mean the worst. But, um, folks, this is a major story. People have taken to the streets in Iran protesting initially the prices and the, the horrible economy, which is, uh, you know, a natural in these fascist regimes, but protesting against the leadership in Iran. This is, I mean, th- this takes guts to do. I mean, it quite literally could mean death. So uh, kudos, backslap, hat tip, whatever silly word you want to use, but to the White House, I mean it. For getting out in front of this, they issued a, a statement uh, from the State Department spokesperson, Heather Nauert, who used to be at Fox News, many of you remember her, uh, supporting these protesters and basically calling out uh, any arrests of peaceful protesters overseas. Uh, good move. Excellent. Well done. Okay. Um, here's another liberal myth, a 2017 liberal myth I wanted to get to. A lot of Because a, a lot of folks on the conservative side got suckered by this one. And some of you in the audience may have, too. Because I know, because after I mention it every single time, especially on Mark's show or any like national radio show I do, I get emails like, what do you mean you don't support net neutrality? You don't want the net to be neutral? Oh, 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 man. Head, meet desk. I don't have a lot of hair. I shave my head very short. Those of you who see me on TV, you know what my head looks like. But the little hair I have left, like I like to grab it and smash it into the desk every time I hear that. How can, I don't, listen, I get it why liberals love this net neutrality, which doesn't really mean anything. I mean, it really stands for government regulation through Title II. That's what it is. But they'll call it net neutrality because the liberals own the dialogue, and when they own the dialogue, they own the argument. So you won't know what I'm talking about if I don't use their, their silly language. Folks, the net was never neutral. The only question here, the only question is why the heck are you proposing the government is going to solve the problem of making the the, uh, the Internet a level playing field? You think the government's, you mean the same government that spent your Social Security, couldn't even get a website up in Obamacare, that's decimated the economy under eight years under Obama? You mean the one that can't run a public school? That's the one that's definitely going to figure out the Internet? Are you insane? Are you crazy? Net neutrality is a scam. This is the biggest liberal myth of 2017 that somehow the government was going to make the net more fair. Fair. Where have you heard that term before? Fair and equal. This is typical liberal propaganda focus group language they use when they want to introduce the government into your life through the back door. 
Folks, the net has never been neutral. Ever. You doubt that? Mr. Producer, you on Facebook? You are, right? Is Facebook fair? Does everybody on Facebook get equal access to your timeline? Uh, you're darn right, oh no. They don't get access to mine either. Same thing on Twitter. I said it last time I was on Mark Shaw. I'll say it again. I have a this, uh, I don't know what it's called, this beta program on Twitter. I pay per month to get my Twitter out there. Why? Because I do conservative content production. I like to get my content out there. That's what I do for a living. It's called marketing, liberals. I pay. I may be on your timeline in front of someone else. Oh, my, what, wait, what? That's not fair. That's not neutral. No, it's not fair. It's called the free market. That's how that thing works. Fair? You want fair? Go to a prison. Fair? It's very fair in prison. Everybody gets three hots and a cot. You want fair? Go to the military. Everybody goes through boot camp. It's fair. You all get a fair shot. You're all going to be subjected to the same boot camp. Fair? You think the net is fair? Are you insane? Facebook, Google. What? Wait. I, I mean, I own my own domain name. Thank God, my last name, Bongino. But if someone would have bought it before me and would have been on the first page, hey, you Google, Dan Bongino, and that comes up on the first page, that's not fair. Folks, it's a scam. You're a sucker if you believe in this thing. Now, uh, the reason I'm bringing it up is at the end of the year, the FCC and Ajit Pai, uh, Trump's quality appointments over there, promotion to the commissioner over there, scrapped a lot of this net neutrality garbage. But I'm imploring you, begging you as a friend. I would not steer you wrong. Don't fall prey to this sucker scheme of net neutrality. It's only a way to introduce the government into monitoring content on the Internet. Don't be a sucker for it. All right. I'm Dan Bongino, at DBongino on Twitter. If you want to send a comment, give us a call, 877-381-3811. We'll be right back. Show the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now. 877-381-3811. All right, welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino at DBongino on Twitter. Filling in for Mark. If you want to give us a call, 877-381-3811. We got some good callers there, so hang tight. I will get to you. So I've been talking about the uh, debunking the biggest liberal myths of 2017. It was tough. I mean, I have about 40 of them here, and it was really tough to narrow it down to about 40 of them. And uh, I've only gotten to two. Uh, I'm on net neutrality right now, which was a total scam. Uh, the, yeah, let's have the government regulate the Internet. They do so well, everything else they've taken over, the student loan market, health care, your retirement, which they've flushed down a toilet bowl. They're just wonderful at managing all that other stuff. So most certainly the government will be responsible uh, and, and effectively, quote, regulate the Internet. I mean, how conservatives get suckered. I'm not kidding, folks. There are some conservatives who believe that this is this is legit. Like, no, this is what we need to do. The government will definitely fix it. You're like, wait, what does a bureaucrat in the government know about the Internet again? Oh, absolutely nothing? Oh, yeah, let's have them do it. Okay, that's a great move. Um, on that note, let's take a call. we got someone who disagrees with me. He says they're a conservative. we got Nick from D.C. Nick, I saw you on the line, and I said, oh, here we go. But I'm going to let you air your opinion here. So you disagree, and you think we need the government controlling the Internet. I, I don't get it. Explain Hey, Dan, thanks for taking my call. Love yes, uh, you, all the work you do. Thank you so much. Uh, your voice is always great to hear on the radio. Wow, look at that. Opening up with a bang. I appreciate that. Now let's get to the tough stuff. How, if you are right. a conservative, could you possibly support this disaster known as net neutrality? All right. 
So net neutrality or the repeal thereof helps big companies like Verizon, Time Warner, the guys that laid the foundation for the Internet back years ago and put all the bulk pipe in, the pipeline that allows the Internet to work, it helps them because now they could say, you know what, Mr. Government, I want you to pay $500 extra so that you could get HD quality on your Internet and you could... All right, Nick, time out because I'm going to immediately shred that what you just said. You just gave me a hypothetical, right? You said this could happen, correct? Yeah. Now, I'm going to ask you a question because I like you, and you gave me a nice compliment. Since net neutrality was implemented in the Obama administration in 2015, how many complaints by major companies for throttling or what you just said, how many complaints have been filed where that actually happened? I can't give you the exact number. I know wait, wait, let me give it to you. The number is zero. As in, some people will call it O when they give out a phone number. They'll say 440 or whatever it may be. It's a circle, and it represents the absence of value. So the problem you're saying could happen, and why you want the government to come in and regulate this, isn't actually happening, and no one's actually complained about it. I know for a fact that Netflix had, had when they were trying to reach a suit, with Time Warner had throttling in their suit, and they eventually no, no, those were disagreements between resellers and wholesalers. That was not last mile throttling, Nick. You're confused. I'm sorry. You, you, I, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but you don't know what you're talking about. Those were not last mile issues. That is, that is absolutely not true. You just don't, I'm, Nick. I'm sorry. I mean, you sound like a nice guy, but you're just not, you're not read up on the issue. That, that's more than fair. The big question that I have, and I agree that I agree that the government is bad at everything, and everything they touch usually turns to usually. What does the government touch? That no, Nick. Again, I'm not, you sound like a nice kid. I'm really not trying to be a jerk. I like you. I mean this, but you say usually. What is the government touched that actually works? The national parks are very nice. The national parks? Are you kidding me? The, the people want the federal government out of national parks. They have a backlog of jobs, you know, 10, 15 years long. The national park system is a mess right now. No, Nick, the big thing that I, I take issue with is now I feel like for if I wanted to start a business and I want to start the next YouTube, as far-fetched as it might be, I now have there are additional startup costs that, Companies like Verizon, companies like Time Warner can now impose on my business where now my content isn't equal. My Right now, all content streams, whether it's a text message or whether it's a HD video. Nick, that, I get it. You're giving me a hypothetical as a vehicle to introduce government power into this. But you, the amazing thing is you agree with me, right? I'm not making this up, that this isn't actually happening. That what you're saying is going to, you want to introduce the government to fix a problem that's not actually happening. Just so we're clear. It was previously illegal. They couldn't. Now uh, they're Nick, you do realize, by the way, if that happens now, that the FTC still has the Federal Trade Commission, not the FCC, can still handle complaints like that, correct? You realize there's, there is a vehicle to complain about that, right? I am, I am aware of it, but it makes it what was illegal is now legal. Now they can it is now not, throttle Nick, it. Nick, just to be clear on this, so you, you want the government to regulate the Internet because you think somehow in some fantastical universe you may live in, that one day you're going to be throttled, although this isn't actually happening anywhere. So you think the government's going to fix your problem. Let me ask you this. So you seem to have a problem with the segregation of content, right? Correct. Quick question for you. Do you have any issue whatsoever with Facebook and Google controlling the access to your search engine 
what you see there and your timeline on Facebook. Do you have any issue with that? Absolutely. A court, but oh, I, wait, so wait, wait, hold on, time out. So the government should regulate Facebook and Google, too, and make equal access on your timeline, right? I'm not saying that they should. Oh, whoa, 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 time out, time out. So you, have, you, you, you want the government to make sure that every website in the last mile is treated equally, although you can't show that this is, they're not being treated equally now. We both agree. You haven't shown any examples. You haven't given me one. I just gave you an actual example of a content provider and a social media platform and a search engine that is actually discriminating based on content now, and you don't want the government to regulate them. Don't, don't you, do you see how this is a little weird? I, it is It is absolutely a hairy discussion. <laughs> Unbelie- unden- Listen, undeniably. brother, I love you. You're a nice guy. But um, I, I don't mean this like a jerk, and I know it sounds bad. But you really got to do your homework on this issue. It's a complicated issue, and I'm afraid you've, you've been seriously, as, as Al Sharpton once said, you've been misled, um, as we say, misled. You've been misled. Nick, thanks for the call, though. I appreciate it. Uh, keep up the good fight. I respect that you have an opinion. It's just absolutely um, wrong. Uh, folks, this thing is a scam. This net neutrality is a total, complete scam. The people who support it can't actually show you what's happening. And they want it. And the gov- oh, yeah, the government's definitely going to fix this. But I don't, want, I don't want to spend the whole show on net neutrality because I could. I just wanted to take Nick's call because it's interesting to hear the defenders call in and they'll tell you things like, you know, in the future, you're going to have to pay extra money to get a website into your house. You're like, okay, well, where's that happening now? Oh, it's not um, anywhere. So we haven't seen any substantial evidence of this at all. And by the way, if it does happen, you can still complain to the FTC. But you think the government's going to come in now and fix everything, and they're going to level the playing field using, like, Democrat focus group tested language. It's like, really? Really? You're serious about that? The government's going to fix this. By the way, don't you find it odd that since net neutrality has been instituted, the first thing they went after was not people being forced, like Nick had suggested, to pay more for getting their websites out there. You know what the first thing government went after? Mr. Producer, this is killer. They went after zero rating, the government. What is that? What is zero rating? Zero rating is these package deals where if like you subscribe to AT&T, whatever, and they have Disney content, whatever it may be, they give you that content for free. You don't get a data charge over their platform. You don't get charged for it. That's that zero rating, in essence. That's the first thing they went after. They didn't go after people who were being forced to pay more. They went after people who were being forced to pay nothing. I'm not kidding, folks. This is the first thing the government went after. This is how dumb and 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 I was going to say something at mm, backwards. You get it. Mm, I, I know it's a struggle sometimes from Queens backwards. Don't worry. You know I, I see Mr. Producer. You're probably sitting there on that seven second button. Don't worry. I'm good. It's so backwards. They can't get anything right. The whole myth about the, uh, net neutrality was, oh, they're going to slow stuff down. People are going to have to pay more. People were paying nothing. And the government like, no, no, that's not good. You're giving away data for free on whatever, an AT&T plan? You better charge those people. And everybody's left scratching their head like, wait, I thought this was about fairness and access. <laughs> now, now you see why I love debunking liberal nonsense. This is it. This is a, and they suckered conservatives into believing it. All right, folks, moving on. Here's another doozy I saw this year that really jumped out to me. This, and, and I get these, I picked out these liberal myths by focusing on what the liberal talking head class on cable news, the talking points they all share. They're all members of email groups and things like that, you know, listservs and things, and they get their talking points from, like, the Borg. So whenever I hear something, you know, once I let it go. Twice I pay attention. By the time I've heard it the fifth time from the fifth different liberal talking head, I know they got it from a listserv. 
One of them that was out there, which is a huge myth that your liberal friends will try over and over to sucker you with, is they'll say, well, you know, Obamacare is working because, you know, health care costs as a percentage of the economy are, you know, they're down. They're down since Obamacare was instituted. Folks, I covered this the other day on Mark's show, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. I'm going to just leave you with the scam. Here's what they're not telling you. They're not adjusting those figures for inflation and for population growth. Uh, kind of a big deal, folks, right? I mean, if you're providing health care to 100 people or 200 people, you think that might have, Mr. Producer, do you think it would be more expensive? This is not a trick question. To provide health care to 100 people or 200 people? Just guess. Probably 200, Mr. Producer. Ding, 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 ding. You are right. You are a genius. This is a smart man. Steve is on a roll tonight. 200, of course. So if you don't adjust the health care costs for population growth, of course you're going to get inflated numbers on one end and misguided numbers and, 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 and basically misdirected numbers on the other end that are going to get us to believe something that isn't in fact true. When you correct the numbers post-Obamacare for inflation, you make the value of money consistent, and you control on spending per person, the numbers are up, in some cases up dramatically, especially when it comes to premiums. So, folks... Again, I heard it from five, ten, who knows, 15 liberal talking heads. Well, you have to, Ezekiel Emanuel, uh, Rahm Emanuel's brother, he loved this talking point. I used to see him on cable news all the time. Obamacare's working. Collective health care costs are down after Obamacare. They're not down. You're, you're scamming people. You're not adjusting them for inflation and population. The only thing that matters, you think we're all stupid? But this goes to show you, again, how people aren't low-information voters. They're myth- they're, I, I think they're misinformed. And the New York Times picks up the talking point. The Washington Post, oh, look, Obamacare costs are down. They never adjust for inflation. They never adjust uh, for population growth. And people actually believe it. Oh, Obamacare's working. Costs are down. And then the, uh, most of America's like, wait, are, they are? I just got a bill in the mail for like three times what I was paying a year ago. How are the costs down? They're not. You're being suckered again. All right, I've got more of these. I've got a, a whole lot more. Here, one more before we take a break. This is another Obamacare one that's a doozy. I keep saying doozy. I think I'm aging myself with that. I don't think people say that anymore. One of them I heard repeated over and over on the cable news was, oh, it's working because this this one's, this is not funny. I'm, I'm only laughing because you have to be a real sucker to believe in this one. They say Obamacare is working because hospital readmissions, uh, readmissions fell from 20% to 18.4%. You're like, oh, okay, so... Obamacare is instituted. People get out of the hospital. They're not being readmitted for other illnesses. Oh, okay. That sounds like it's really terrific. What's going on? What a huge success. And then you find out the mortality rate. In other words, like people dying because they are mortal. The mortality rate is not funny. I just, again, you have to be a sucker to believe this that Obamacare is working. The mortality rate shot up to 8.6% from 7.2%. Why is that? Because Obamacare had a condition in it that penalized hospitals for readmitting patients. So what did some hospitals do? They found every reason in the book to not readmit you. Some of those people who went home got sick and maybe later died. So this is how liberals celebrate. They're like, yes, yes, readmission's down. Uh, yeah, but more people are dying. Shh, shh, don't tell anybody. We don't want anybody to know that. Obamacare's a huge success. Don't let anybody know more people are dying, costs are through the roof. Just tell them that readmission thing and they'll believe it. Oh, man. My entire goal in life is to debunk liberal silliness, and it's everywhere. It's like swimming in a soup of stupid all the time. (laughs) I'm not kidding. 
It's like my squad goals, hashtag, debunk liberal nonsense. All right, I'm Dan Bongino, in for Mark, at the Bongino on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow, at Mark Levin Show. And if you want to give us a call, it's 877-381-3811. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino at the Bongino on Twitter. Filling in for Mark. Make sure you give him a follow as well at Mark Levin Show on Twitter and follow at Levin TV as well. We can get clips of Mark's unbelievable show over at CRTV. That's it's available at CRTV.com. And it's Levin TV. It's great how they found a guy named Mark Levin to fill in for a show at Levin TV. That's terrific. It's amazing how that works out. That's a really horrible joke that I stole from a friend a long time ago. But <laughs> he's probably listening. You know, he knows exactly where I was going with that. But it is a great show. It's a flagship show on CRTV. We have Michelle Malkin over there. I work there, but it's a great place to work. Uh, we have Andrew Wilkow. We just added to the lineup. They have the Duck Commander, Phil Robertson, it's, uh, Steve Dace, Steve Crowder. Go check it out. CRTV.com. Check out the flagship show, Levin TV. And as I said on Twitter, you can get great clips of the show at Levin TV. All right. Uh, let's see. I got to get back to my debunking the you know biggest liberal myths of 2017. I've got a few doozies here, but let me take a call uh, 877-381-3811 if you want to join the show. Let me go to Neil in Long Beach. I know this guy too. Neil, what's going on? Hey, brother, how are you? Uh, for those of you who don't know Neil, I went to the police academy uh, with Neil a long time ago. He knew me when I was about 155 pounds. You haven't seen me in a while though. I'm I'm up to about 220 now. You probably wouldn't recognize me. I'm a lot uglier. Buddy, buddy, I started a diet last year. I was 317. I'm down to 280. Oh, my God. You're tall, too. If I remember, you were like 6'2 or something, right? Yeah, it's like 6'2. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. You know, it was the jogging. I have to get back to that. But I wanted to, first of all, wish you and your family, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and a great new year. No, thank you. You said Merry. We're allowed to say Merry Christmas again. Don't worry. The social yeah, justice yeah, yeah, it's a dying thing. Also, by the way, brother, I know you're not feeling well. So when you're done with the show, wipe down the console, okay? Oh, it's no. I, this is my home office. It's already infected with the infectatum that's going around. But no, I mean it, Neil. I was telling Mr. Producer he could vouch for me on this. I would never do a show if I really wasn't up to it. I mean it because it's not responsible. This is Mark's show. He asked you to fill in. He's got millions of listeners. If you're not ready, just don't do it. They have other backup hosts that are very good. Um, I, I am. I feel kind of crappy, but I really don't feel bad. Like I, I think it's because you know the energy of the show and the topics I really like. I, I, honest to God, I wouldn't lie to you. I feel. I feel fine. I don't feel bad at all. Matter of fact, my wife just texted me and she was well worried about me. She thought the show. She's like, oh man, you look terrible. And she's like, how is it? I said, I feel like it's one of the better ones we've done. She goes, wow, really? So who knows? Maybe yeah, I no, brother, you, you, sound, you sound really good. And, and, and let me tell you something. That story you told about Paula and your mother-in-law, uh, oh, it, kind, it kind of put me to shame a little bit, and that's why I wanted to call in. Remember when we had the graduation party in Long Beach? Oh, my gosh. Remember, you know, you, do you re- wait, wait, here's a trivia question for you. Do you remember what major historic event happened that night? Oh you don't remember God. this, do no, you? You got me at a loss. So me and Neil graduated the New York City Police Academy. We had a graduation party in Long Beach. I remember well. By the way, I only got like 30 seconds left. So Princess Diana was killed that night. You don't remember in that bar we were at, it came up on the screen? Princess Diana, everybody was like, oh, my God. You don't remember that, do you? No, because you know why? My mom goes, who's Dan Bongino? And I told her who you were. Oh, that handsome man. Oh, that <laughs> She's got the wrong guy. Yeah, so no, I don't She's remember. thinking of someone no. else. 
<laughs> hey, listen, Neil, I got to run, man, unfortunately. We're up against a hard break, but thanks for calling in. You're a good man, brother. I appreciate it. I remember that party well. I'm not kidding. I remember it. I remember that night. That was uh, We were all looking at TV screen like, did that just happen? All right, folks, I'm Dan Bongino in for Mark Levin. Give us a call, 877-381-3811. We'll be right back. underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. All right, welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino, at the Bongino on Twitter, filling in for Mark. Sorry, I'm just blocking some buffoon on Twitter here. You know, if you, you can send me whatever you want on Twitter, but if you if you cuss at me, I'm probably going to block you right away. So luckily it's only 280 characters, and you didn't have to waste a lot of time doing it. But Twitter's, like, become this domain for psychotic liberals in many ways. They get so upset on Twitter. I mean, the it, I have to block these delicate little social justice warriors all the time. They get insane. I'm afraid my daughter's going to see this stuff. All right, so I've been debunking liberal myths here throughout the course of the show. And uh, one of them I wanted to get to that I think is imperative, given it's the end of the year. This is one. This is more. It's not so much one of the biggest liberal myths of 2017. This is like a generational liberal myth, and 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 it and it comes and goes. It it depends on if using this this entity uh, in a positive or negative light will advance their agenda or not. And that entity is the CBO, folks. When I hear about CBO projections, this is not a knock personally on the people who work there. I mean it. I'm sure they're – I don't know who they are. I've never met them. I'm just telling you, if you're betting on failure, if you're – they're in the prediction game. The CBO is the Congressional Budget Office. Now, I'm going to get to why this matters now in a second, but if you're in the prediction game, you can predict one thing for sure, that the CBO's predictions will always be wrong almost every single time. They have a 100% success rate of failure. I bring it up because this, again, big myths, liberal myths of 2017. One of them was, oh, the CBO, the CBO, the tax cuts are going to lead to trillions in deficits. The tax cuts are going to lead to this. The tax cuts are going to lead to economic collapse. And the, the trillions in deficits was always, well, the CBO said it, so it must have been true. Oh, oh, really? Well, what exactly has the CBO said in the past that's been true? Now, for those of you who heard me in for Mark on whatever, Wednesday or two, I'm getting the day. I'm like, screw, I've been so busy this week. <laughs> I'm not kidding with the content stuff. It's the season of the guest host. So I'm, you know, I've been all over the place here and I'm losing my mind. But I had a nice young man call in to the show and he pledged allegiance to the CBO, and I asked him why, and he couldn't point to one thing the CBO had gotten right. So, did a little homework for y'all, give you a couple quick little tidbits about our friends at the CBO. CBO, back in 2002, they're in the prediction game, folks, right? That's what the CBO does, the liberals, the CBO, the CBO said the tax cuts for Trump are going to lead to trillions of deficit. Okay, what did they say in 2002? The CBO in 2002 predicted that the deficit would be 7.4% of GDP 10 years later in 2012. Okay, so how exactly did that prediction turn out by the CBO? Which, again, the liberals quote all the time as if this is gospel, right? 
Well, in 2012, the percentage of GDP that composed the deficit was 74%. Uh, you were only off by a factor of 10. Not doubled, not triple. You were off by literally a factor of 10. The CBO said it would be 7.4. 7 dot, Dewey Decimal System, 7.4% in 2012. And in 2012, the deficit was 7.4, Dewey Decimal System dot. 7.4, not 7.4. Yeah, you were only off by a factor of 10. No big deal. Just a small miss there. Just a small, just a small miss, guys. You only missed it by, by 10 times. No big deal. But yes, we're supposed to trust the CBO on the Trump tax cuts. That's important. You may say, oh, come on, Dan, you're cherry picking. Give us a more recent example. Okay, I'll do that. That's what I'm here for. Thank you. Thank you very much for saying that. You didn't. I did. But you get the point. On Obamacare, CBO made some great predictions on this one. They missed by just a little bit. A little bit, as Bobby De Niro said in Goodfellas, right? A little bit. Missed by a little bit. You offended him a little bit. Tommy, a little bit. Go get your shine box, a little bit. They predicted the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. In 2010, they said there'll be 21 million people enrolled. 21 million. Everybody was like, wow, this is awesome. Really, CBO? 21 million? What a success this thing's going to be. Yeah, they were off by a little bit. The actual number in 2017 was 10 million, so you can only cut that in half. Yeah, they were off by five or six people, actually by 10 million. Um, no big deal. <laughs> you said 20 million, it was 10 million. Yeah, you cut it in half. Close. Now, uh, you know, I was a, not patting myself on the back, but I was a graduate student twice. I actually graduated from, I didn't go there to mess around. But I love statistics. I was a finance guy, my MBA program, and, you know, statistical analysis. You know, you get a, depending on what you use as a confidence interval, you, you know, 5% error rates and things like that. When you predict 21 million, and you're off by about 10 million people, uh, it's kind of a big deal. You're kind of off by a lot. Now, you may say, all right, Dan, so what? They can't predict the budget. They can't predict the effects of tax cuts. They can't predict what happens with Obamacare. Did they get anything right? Uh, no, not really, but here's another one. This is another uh, sweetheart prediction they made. The CBO was off in the Medicaid enrollees with Obamacare. Obamacare expanded Medicaid. They were off in the number of people that would enroll in Medicare when it expanded. They were only off by 50%. 50% more people enrolled. Again, no big deal. Not 5%, not 7%, not 10%, not 25%. 50% more people enrolled than they predicted. So again, to our liberal buddies out there listening, when you cite the CBO for the Trump tax cuts, please pardon us while we all break down in hysterical laughter, slapping our knees. Give us all a break on your nonsense about the CBO, okay? You feed them garbage, they pump out garbage. It's not a knock on them personally. I don't know them. I'm sure they're nice folks. The bottom line is, if they were in the betting business, I would ask them who they're betting on and then bet on the other guy, and I'd win every single time. All right, here's another sweetheart prediction, debunking silly, dopey liberal myths of 2017. So, yes, the CBO, you could pretty much discount any of their predictions. Um, they're never right on anything. Our friend Paul Krugman, you all know who he is? He's a liberal pseudo-economist at the New York Times. He's actually an economist. I say pseudo-economist because this is another guy who seems to predict things as an economist that never come true. So my advice when it comes to Paul Krugman is this. Just like the CBO, if you read his columns in the New York Times, whatever he says about the economy, bet against it and you'll probably be rich. You, uh, you say you need some evidence about that? <laughs> After the Trump election, 
It was widely reported that Krugman put out there, stock markets are plunging. Well, when might me expect the stock market to recover, Krugman added. A first-pass answer is never. Yeah, you know, the stock market's uh, had a pretty rough run. It's only up to 25000 It's only appreciated, what, double digits repeatedly every single month since the Trump election. So, again, if you uh, want to take some advice from Paul Krugman, take his advice and bet on the opposite, and you will probably be A-OK. Another dopey liberal myth, uh, 2017. Now, I could get into the biggest liberal myth of all, but I've discussed this ad nauseum. But I would be remiss if I didn't at least bring it up. Folks, the Russian collusion fairy tale. That is by far the biggest myth of 2017. I'm just going to leave it at this. There's absolutely no evidence at all that any of this happened ever. And if you believe that spying on an innocent American citizen while you're a sitting president, like Barack Obama's administration did when they unmasked Trump administration officials because they lost an election, is fair, then you should move to Cuba or check out Vladimir Putin's Russia. It's probably more for you than this country. You still cannot provide an inkling, a scintilla, an iota of evidence that this Russian collusion fairy tale conspiracy theory actually happened and yet there are people out there of the imbecile type who continue to promote this myth all right i got i got some more i want to get to these because they're really good I, I took a lot of time putting this together today so i want to get as many of them as i can here was another one a 2017 liberal myth they said 13 million people are going to be Kicked off Obamacare if you get this individual mandate repeal. The penalty where Obamacare, you got penalized by the IRS if you didn't buy this crap insurance. Well, if you read the report, later down in that very same report, the liberals cite all the time, you find out that 13 million people aren't being kicked off anything. 13 million people were choosing not to buy this thing. And think about this, folks. They were turning down government subsidies to buy insurance in exchange for paying the government. A penalty to not buy your crap insurance. Please digest what I just told you. Because this liberal myth drives me crazy, and you'll see liberal talking heads. You'll see them on the news mentioning this as if it's a fact. Ah, oh, 13 million people kicked off Obamacare. Hey, time out. Under the hood for review. Kicked off? You mean they choose not to get it. That's not kicked off. Nobody kicked them off anything. They don't want it. Matter of fact, the government's actually giving them subsidies, money to buy health care, they don't want it. They are actually paying the government, the IRS, a penalty to get away from Obamacare. That's how bad it is. That's the real story behind that 13 million number. Don't let them fake the funk on this one. Oh, yeah, 13 million people being kicked off. Not being kicked off anything. They are literally paying the government a fine rather than taking government money to escape the disaster known as the Affordable Care Act. Yet you will still see liberal commentators. And, folks, the reason I'm bringing a lot of this up is not to relitigate 2017, but because these arguments are going to spill over into 2018. And a lot of you out there running for office, you're conservative activists, you get into debates with your liberal friends, you'll hear these talking points. I'm giving you the ammo right now in one simple sentence to knock it down. These talking points, they're all made up. It's all fictitious nonsense. All right, I got to take a break. I got, I got a lot more of these, so don't go anywhere. I'll also take some of your calls. If you want to call in, liberal, conservative, whatever, you want to challenge me, you want to back it up, that's fine. Um, 877-381-3811. If you want to send me a tweet, I am at dbongino on Twitter. Make sure you give Mark a follow as well, at Mark Levin Show. We'll be right back. Mark Levin.
to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino, contributing editor over at Conservative Review, filling in for the great one. Back again, the knuckleballer out of the bullpen. Mark taking a little break over the holidays. If you want to give us a call, 877-381-3811. If you'd like to send me a tweet, at Bongino. I've got a sneeze coming on, and it's, like, driving me nuts. It feels like there's, like, a little dude up in my nose, like, tickling a nose hair. It's making me really crazy right now. Seriously. I'm like, all right, there you go. I think it went away. Because <laughs> let me tell you something, if I sneeze at this radio right now, it's going to blow your eardrums out. So I'll be sure to, like, back up on that one if I do. But I think I'm okay. All right, let me take a phone call here. Let's see. Who's on? Let's go to Scott in Indianapolis, Indiana. Scott, you disagree with me a bit here. What do you got for us? Uh, Dan, I wouldn't call it a disagreement. I, I'm just having a hard time. I read a, a book called The Poor Among Us by Dr. Philip Johnston, who was a doctor in Indianapolis, Right. basically devoted his life to inner-city health. And I agree with the repeal of the Affordable Care Act. I appreciate the free market idea of competition in, in health care. However, I want to know, I can't resolve in my own heart, how do we care for those that are poorest among us? And I'm talking mental health, uh, those that just cannot afford any care at all. Uh, do we provide a free clinic, a mobile clinic, you know, in, in and amongst this large scope of the continuum of healthcare, how do we how do we handle the, the poorest five sure. percent who just don't seek care? Well, if I may steal a line from uh, the greatest economist of our time, in my opinion, Thomas Sowell. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to be a smart guy with you here, Scott. But why are you starting the story in the middle? And what I mean by that is, why can't the poor afford healthcare? Why? Well, I, I mean, I they, I'm Scott. It's a serious question. I mean, when you see the working poor in our country, right? I'm not talking about people who have, you know, psychological problems or disabled. I mean, the working poor in our country, people who are that's those are obviously separate cases that require separate interventions. I get that. Um, but when you talk about the working poor in our country, in our country, you go around. A lot of them have a lot of them have cell phones. Some of them have cars. Some don't. Um, we have. Air conditioning in a lot of places where housing is relatively poor. I'm not suggesting they're, these are they're, these these people are living uh, the lives of Thurston Howell like Gilligan's Island, but most poor people in America can afford things that they can't afford if you are poor in another country. So my question to you is, why do you think poor people can afford those things but can't afford health care? Why is it different? Well, I, I think we should be careful, and, and I, I just got back from Uganda, um, spent two weeks over there. I obviously have seen, you know, significant poverty and, and debilitating poverty. Scott, I know I'm up against a break, so I'm just trying to nail you down on this, So because you're starting the story in the middle. You're assuming the poor can't afford health care, but you're not getting what I'm getting. Why can't they afford health care? What, what is special about health care in America? I mean, it, obviously the poor can afford food. The biggest problem we have in America right now with food is obesity. But you or I have not been there. We have never been in a situation where we had to decide between food or Oh, care. oh, no, 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 no. Don't speak for me on that one, brother. Uh, you have got me way, way, you don't know me at all. So you might want to rewind that tape. You speak for yourself on that. I'm sorry, but that's not actually accurate at all. Not even okay. a little bit. Okay. Well, I will speak for probably 90% of the country. And, and believe me, I am, I am, I am very much... For what is happening with with healthcare? All right, I, I I understand that. Let me do me a favor because we're running short. Let me just answer the question for you because I, I can see we're going to go back and forth here. I don't want to do this dance with you. Don't you find it a little odd 
that the two spheres of our economy, that liberals, and I'm not suggesting you're a liberal at all, but that most liberals will complain about the costs, that those two spheres that are inaccessible and the poor can't afford them are also the two areas where the government is the most heavily involved, education, right, and health care. Don't you see a little bit of a nexus there? This is why I'm telling you not to start the story in the middle, as Thomas Solo, he says. You have to start the story in the beginning. If you're genuinely interested in getting people who are poor and lower income access to services, materials, and assets that wealthy people have access to, the only way, the only way to do it is to get the government out of it. That is the only way. There's no shortcut. There's no U-turn. There's no figure eight. There is only a straight line to free market capitalism, Scott. That is it. And until you recognize that and understand that it is precisely the government's intervention the broken leg fallacy, they call it. They break the leg and introduce more of the medicine that broke the leg as a cure. It is precisely the government's intervention in health care that is making it poor. This conversation will go nowhere because you're not understanding what the genesis of the whole thing is. So, so the solution is to go purely capitalistic, free market, and hope that those... And Why I, are I'm you gonna, hoping? Well, you don't have to hope for flat-screen televisions to go down. You didn't have to hope for LASIK eye surgery to go down. You didn't have to hope for the cost of cell phones to go down. Why are you hoping for health care? Why do you think it's different? I've dealt with a physician that has worked in the industry for 40 years. All right, I get that, but why is health care different? Every, it's worked for everything else. All right, well, Scott, i got to let you go. I'm sorry, but, you know, you're, i, I got a hard break I'm up against. But, folks, this is the – I mean, I, I, can't, I can't emphasize to you in strong enough terms. Don't start the story in the middle. Whenever you're looking for intervention in the free market by government, you will always find things people who are lower income can't afford because the government's doing it. All right, I'm Dan Bongino, at DBongino on Twitter. In for Mark Levin. Mark Levin, a proud conservative. No ifs, ands, or buts. Call in at 877-381-3811. All right. Welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino filling in for Mark at D. Bongino on Twitter. If you want to send comments, criticisms, you want to call in 877-381-3811. I just clicked on my Instagram. I saw this funny video. You know, you get these... uh, these crazy things that come. There's this guy. I guess he he locked himself out of the hotel room trying to put the uh, put the food tray outside. And he, <laughs> dude had no clothes on. So that the hotel video is him walking all the way down. I oh, getting on the elevator. Oh, poor guy. If this is a scam, it's one of the funniest scam videos I've ever seen. I, <laughs> oh man, totally divorced from politics. We need to lighten up a little bit during the holiday season, though. You know, I had a good Christmas. Hope you all did. All right, let's get back to the, the uh, real material here, the meat and potatoes of the show. So I've been talking about 2017, the debunking some of the biggest liberal myths, the most patently offensive ones I found. It was a list of about 7,000. I narrowed it down to 40. I've only gotten to about 10 of them. But here's another one I heard spouted off by liberal talking heads on cable news channels and on talk radio frequently. It involves a very simple scam. There's always a scam with liberals. You just have to find it. I heard it today as well. It's being repeated. And Dan Horowitz, conservative view, does a good job with stories like this on immigration. But it's the myth that Barack Obama 
was harsher on immigration than Trump. I didn't say that wrong, folks. You're not like, wait, what do you mean Barack Obama was harsher on immigration than Trump? This is amazing because liberals who are an open borders crowd general, not all Democrats, but liberals certainly are. When they need to advance an agenda and make Obama look good, they'll swear Obama was tough on immigration. But when a Republican's tough on immigration, they'll call him a racist or a xenophobe. It's the, it's the most bizarre thing. Now, watch it on cable news, and you'll pick up on it. And this is the talking point they always use. When they need to defend Obama's legacy and make him look good, they'll say, well, Barack Obama deported more people than Donald Trump. <clears throat> one, I thought you weren't for deportations. You guys are open borders crowd. Like, can you just argue one consistent point? Do you have to consistently make stuff up and change the argument? It's like, I'm talking apples, you're talking oranges, I'm talking bananas, you're talking kiwis. Can you just say the same thing so I can logically refute your point without you changing your point two minutes later? Here's the scam they use. The Obama administration changed the definition of a deportation to include people who were turned around at the border and sent back. These were not people previously classified as, quote, deported, folks. So when you, when you change that classification, obviously you're going to add a tremendous number of people to the number of people who were deported. Deported used to mean you're found in the country, visa overstay, illegal entry, whatever it may be. You're found, you go through the court system, and you're sent back to your, your, the country you came from because you're not in the country legally. Deportation did not mean pre-Obama turning people around who were caught at the border. But Obama, in order to disingenuously inflate his work tough on illegal immigration nonsense when they needed it, when they needed it, they're very careful, be very careful here, they would, they would throw that statistic out there. Oh, look, we have, well, deportations were up on Obama. It's nonsense. It's one of the big liberal myths of 2017. It's being trotted out there again with the wall building. I heard it today with the, with the uh, talk about the building the wall. Well, Trump, you know, he hasn't been as tough on immigration as uh, illegal immigration as Obama. You, folks, you really believe that? Uh, I've got a bridge down here, Palm City. I'll sell you super cheap, less than a dollar if you believe that. I mean, come on, give me a break. Palm City, it's where I live. Some of you see me out there. You know, I've been a little, you can probably tell by my voice, a lot of people in my sniffling. I've got a little bit of a call. I feel generally pretty good. But uh, it's weird because when I go in the gym and I, I don't get out much, I work from home. I have a home studio and it's where I do most of my work. You know, I'll go to the gym and stuff and I'll see people and they'll recognize you from, you know, Fox or Mark Show, whatever it may be. And they'll go to shake your hand. And when you're sick, you know, you don't want to contaminate people. And, you know, Mr. Producer, right, what do you do? You don't want to be rude, like, hey, I'm a little sick. And then most of the time, they'll be like, oh, I don't even really care. And I'm like, um, all right, like, I'll shake your hand, dude, but you may get this, uh, whatever fungus is in my lungs right now, you may get it. It's always a weird thing. You know, you don't want to be obnoxious, but I don't want to get people sick either. Sorry if that sniffle is driving you crazy. <laughs> I promise you, I feel all right, though. All right, here's another. This one's a fantastic story. This one was great. I saw this story in 2017. This is relatively recent, by the way. And I thought, this is great. This is, th th there's no way this is true. And I, it was reported by the Washington Post and others. And the way it was reported, though, was with such a sense of seriousness that I thought, all right, maybe they did screw this up, you know, the Trump team a little bit. I thought, let me look into this a little bit. But, of course, it was nonsense. It was just another liberal myth. Now, you may have heard this one. I don't know if you heard this one, Mr. Producer, if you covered it on the show. But 
There was a story just about a month ago about the, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, HHS and those entities, that had a list of, get ready for it, using the dreaded air quotes here, banned words by the Trump team. Banned words, oh my gosh, Trump, the fascist, he's at it again, he's banning words. And I'm reading this story and I'm like, ah, what? That doesn't sound right. Banning words in like fetus and transgender and diversity. And I'm like, Trump banned words? Like, does that make any sense? And of course it doesn't. But if you're a liberal, it makes perfect sense because you live in a delusional Truman Show all the time. You're like Jim Carrey in the Truman Show. You know, everybody's acting around you, but you think it's legit. So I thought to myself, what's the scam? So I read up on, you know, more reasonable websites, nothing like the Washington Post and New York Times, about what actually happened. And debunking one of these myths from 2017, what actually happened was the CDC and these entities, in order to get money from Congress, had some internal deliberations amongst their own staff. And in order to get money from Congress to affect their mission that they thought was important, inside those deliberations, they thought it would be a good idea from a Republican-majority Congress to avoid words that had some kind of a, maybe a political meaning that they didn't intend through the piece. So the CDC people suggested to others that you avoid those words in reports. Now, of course, the liberal media will jump on that immediately because that's what the liberal media does. And they will say Trump, as if Trump was sitting in the Oval Office with like, uh, you know, remember Billy Madison was that movie with Adam Sandler, the people to kill list? Like he had the words to kill list on there, transgender, diversity. You know, liberals believe that because that made sense to liberals. But to reasonable people who have a brain, that made no sense at all. And, of course, it was a nonsense story, folks. It was the CDC crew and the people in there themselves that chose not to use these words because they wanted money from a Republican-leaning Congress. You know, I... I, I, I know I, I, when I do the show, I use a sarcastic tone. I think humor is one of the best ways to get information across at times. But I'm being serious when I tell you this. Like, how many times are you going to get suckered? How many times are you going to get suckered by these dopey media stories before you, be, you know, before you believe what I'm telling you, that a lot of these mainstream media outlets are obsessed with advancing the liberal agenda? They're not really obsessed with facts. In the, I mean, how many times are you going to get burned? I'm telling you, I know you don't have a lot of time. I know a lot of you are working moms and dads and you have jobs. But I would double, triple, and quadruple check anything that comes out of the New York Times or the Washington Post. I would. Because you can't, until you read the real story, you are going to be played for a fool. You're going to go on a radio show. You're going to call and scream in as a liberal. And someone who knows what they're talking about is going to make you look silly. I'm just saying, as they say on Twitter, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. All right, I got a couple more. Let me get to these because these are, these are good. Uh, which one's that? Oh, here's, this was a great one. This is another Obamacare one. Yeah, remember the, I had a montage on, on my show, it was pretty funny, of, of uh, liberals saying that people are going to die. It was uh, Elizabeth Warren, a bunch of members of Congress on the Democrat side, Bernie Sanders, people are going to die, 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 everything. People are going to die about everything, school choice, taxes, uh, uh, health care. By the way, people will die. That's actually a tautological statement. But when liberals say that, people will die, they mean you'll die as a result of conservative policies. So one of the things they really doubled down on, and this was this one really upset me because it required a little bit of analysis on my part to debunk it, was if you repeal uh, this mandate, uh, the Obamacare mandate, thousands of people will die because they will choose not to get insurance, and therefore they will die because that's you know how the liberals work. Well, 
I did a little homework on this, and I don't know if it was Cato or somewhere else. I saw a couple really good pieces. And it turns out, as with liberal news all the time, there's always an element of truth. You just have to pick apart where the false piece is. Folks, there is a small but a significant correlation amongst lower-income folks, generally poor people, between health insurance and longevity, mortality, general overall health. Small. It's not a huge correlation, but it's a small enough correlation. There is little to no correlation amongst middle class and wealthy people having health insurance and their health outcomes. Now think about it. The reason's obvious if you think it through. If you're middle class, upper middle class, or wealthy, and you get sick, you will probably have the assets to spend on getting yourself better. It may not be comfortable to do it. You may not want to mortgage your house or sell one of your cars, but you'll generally have the assets to get care if you need it. If you're poor and you have access to no insurance or no health care at all outside of the emergency room, it makes a sense that there would be a small correlation there. It's not, it's not a huge one, but it's a small correlation between people who are poor not having health insurance and you know uh, a shortened lifespan, right? Now, how does this factor into the Democrats' talking point? People are going to die. They're going to die. Well... They figured with this individual mandate repeal that if they repealed the individual mandate, the penalty for not having Obamacare, then more people, if they were not penalized for not having Obamacare, people will dump it. So therefore, people would die. But remember what I just told you. Here's where you have to be a bit of a, a, you know, a sophisticated thinker and not fall for the liberal trap. That correlation only applies to people who are poor. But who are the people who are dumping health care? It wasn't people who are poor. People who were poor fell under the Medicaid provisions in Obamacare. were basically given it for free. Those were not the people dumping Obamacare. It was middle class folks who felt like they were getting a crap deal for these super high premiums and super high deductibles. The middle class and upper middle class folks who were dumping it, there was no correlation between thousands will die. There was no correlation. They made it up. Now... That's a little bit more of a detailed argument than some of the – most liberal stuff is just easy, like the CDC story. Like They literally just made that up. Like Trump didn't ban any words. But I can't encourage you again strongly enough when you see these absurd far-left talking points to dig deep and look for the analysis. Just go – just Google, you know, myth. Thousands of people will die when they're pulled off Obamacare. You'll see Cato. You'll see legal insurrection. You'll see conservative review, Breitbart, Daily Caller. You'll see articles where people go out and do this homework and debunk this stuff every day. It's usually nine out of ten times absolute garbage and crap. I'm telling you, folks. All right, I got a couple more. I've got to take a break, but I'll try to get to one more. Maybe we'll try to squeeze in a call before I go. I'm Dan Bongino, at Bongino on Twitter. InfoMark, make sure you give Mark a follow, at Mark Levin Show. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. Dan Bongino filling in for Mark at the Bongino on Twitter, a contributing editor over Conservative Review. Big thank you to Mr. Producer, Mr. Call Screener. Always a fantastic job. I really appreciate it. And of course to uh, Rich and Mark for letting me fill in. It's you know been quite a journey with you all here. I always enjoy filling in, coming out of the bullpen for the great one. As I say every single show, it drives Rich crazy. Um, it's tough to fill in for a guy they call the great one, right? I mean, and called the great one, by the way, by other people in radio. That, that makes it even worse. You know, it's not like he gave that name to himself. Other people called that. 
But uh, I do appreciate it. Thanks for all your feedback on Twitter, your emails, and all the great calls during the show. All right, let me squeeze in a quick call here. Let's. He's been holding a while. Let's get BJ from Queens. Hey, uh, BJ, what do you got for us? But you've been holding a long time, so I want to get you in here. But I, uh, Dan, Happy New Year to you, the Bongino clan, the Mark thank Levin you. family, and Radio family. Oh, thank and you, I want to tell you that identity politics is a tool of the American left to destroy the Constitution. And that's all it ever was and all it ever will be. I live in New York City, and you know that politicians that run up here, they run, oh, I'm, I'm a this American, I'm a that American, this, that, and the other. They never say, I can, I can help you, I will fix this problem. And I'll prove it to you. When I, I'm, I'm almost 53 years old, I campaigned for, uh, I, I volunteered for the Trump campaign. I made calls from Trump Tower. And the people that sat across me, from me, were, uh, they were uh, Asian, they were black. They didn't belong yeah. to one group. Yeah, no, I know. Group. I mean, it reminds me of uh, that. You ever see that movie Couples Retreat? I always love the yoga instructor in there. And he, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I've seen it. I've seen people, uh, Hispanic Trump supporters. But, you know, unlike uh, them, BJ, um, and I do appreciate the call. Thank you very much. But sorry, I got to run. But, um, you know, they see them as black Trump supporters and Hispanic Trump supporters. But I've been to Republican rallies, and it's only the left that sees that. All we see are you know, Americans who support a presidential candidate. It's the left that's obsessed with identity politics. And frankly, folks, it is infuriating. All right, one final um, liberal myth of 2017 I wanted to debunk, because this was kind of a funny one. It's a great way to end the show. Was Joy Reid of MSNBC fame tweeted this out, uh, that Trump was an authoritarian of the first order. Folks, this is absolutely hysterical. You, you know how dopey you have to be to believe this? He's an authoritarian of the first order? The First Order, like, isn't that Star Wars? That's the new Star Wars. Isn't it the First Order? I'm not even sure. It is, right? The First Order, like that guy who screams when they blow up the planet. And you will die. Like, he's an authoritarian of the First Order. Really? How do you manage to pull that off? So he's an authoritarian who has cut the amount of money coming to the government, into the government, but by your own assertions. You're saying that these tax cuts are going to cause deficits. I disagree. But by your own assertions, he's an authoritarian who's taking less of your money. He's an authoritarian who has cut the Federal Register, right, the proxy for regula the regulatory load by the United States government. He's cut red tape in half since Obama. So the ways he can control you, he's cutting them in half as he's not taking your money. But this, this let me tell you something. This is the worst, worst authoritarian of the third order we've ever seen. Forget about the first order. But leave it to Joy Reid at MSNBC to say something that makes absolutely um, no sense. An authoritarian of the first order. By the way, appointing constitutionalist judges on courts as well that are going to limit the power of the executive branch to its role in the Constitution. That sounds like an authoritarian to me, Joy. Nice job. Well done. That's really thorough analysis. You wonder sometimes, these people over at MSNBC, do they, you know, do they take a sanity test before they tweet this kind of nonsense? An authoritarian of the worst order. So when your friends tell you that, that Trump is an authoritarian, you say, how? I've got more of my money. I've got more control over my health care. I have to deal with less government red tape, and we're moving towards school choice, and nuns now won't be penalized for practicing their religion. What exactly is authoritarian about that? Go. Let's hear your answer. And you'll probably hear nothing but silence. That's just how it is, folks. Liberals, they have, they generally have no points at all, but when they do have a point, it's a nonsensical point. And if you do just a little bit of homework and you turn over the rock, you'll see what's underneath it is largely slime and a bunch of worms. All right, I really appreciate the opportunity of being here. It means a lot. If you want to find out more about me, you can check out my website at Bongino.com. 
Um, I have an email list there as well. If you want, new, I send out like news of the day and stories I find interesting. Some of these stories, like the one I quoted in the beginning, the legal insurrection story about the evaporation of identity politics, that's there. So that's up to you at Bongino.com. And if you want to check out my recent book, uh, it is called Protecting the President, available at Amazon. And please go to CRTV. Check out CRTV.com. I work there. we got some really great content, including Levin TV. And we just brought on uh, Andrew Wilkow as well. So go check it out, CRTV.com. Thanks a lot, folks. See you soon.